Bible today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 4. And while you're doing that, the ushers are going to be passing uh, the baskets for this morning, this morning's tithes and offering. Psalms, chapter 4. So, um, Pastor Rod is, is not here this week, but many of you know he likes to do uh, surveys. And so we're going to begin with a survey today. It's a, it's a sort of poll, and it's, I'm going to call it the pillow poll. Uh, the question is this, how many of you like to sleep? Good, good. First rule of public speaking is to know your audience. So uh, how many of you, you like to sleep, but maybe you've struggled at one point in your life or another with sleeplessness? Anybody, any sort of insomniacs in the room? Okay, good. It's a safe place. Uh, church has a way of curing that, I've noticed. So, um, so I brought my pillow um, this morning, and uh, I also brought a picture. This is a picture of my son, Ewan. And uh, in our house, we like to start them early with the sport coats, and so uh, that's, a, that's a picture of him. And one of my jobs as a dad, and something that I really enjoy, is more often than not, when it comes to sort of our bedtime routine, uh, Brianna will read a story to uh, the girls, and I'll put Ewan down uh, for, for, his, for night-night, as we call it. And, and so that involves a few things. That involves reading a story, uh, sort of a perennial favorite right now is The Big Red Barn. And it also involves, we wrap him up really tight in his blanket, that sort of helps. And we sing a song, we sing Jesus Loves Me, and I sort of pat him on his back. And four times, one, two, three, four, we have like a whole you know routine. And then I lay him down, and he is just out. He's just out. And we, thankfully, he hasn't learned that he's big enough to crawl out of his crib yet. And so bedtime right now with Ewan is like super easy um, as long as I'm home to go through our routine. And at no point that I know of has he laid there and thought, you know, just sort of like anxious thoughts, like, you know, I can't believe I said that today. I wonder what people are thinking of. I and mean, he's, just, he's just out. He's just asleep. And I've never really sort of envied that uh, all that much until recently, for the first time in my life, uh, some time ago, I had my first experience with, with really what Pastor Rob would talk about as like anxiety, but also um, sleeplessness, sleeplessness. And I've not been an insomniac typically. I typically love to go to bed and sleep. I saw a sign recently that said, sleep feels like queso tastes. Which is, uh, which is true. Um, but for the first time in my life, I had a particular stress point, and you've probably, probably almost all of us have experienced this. I knew exactly what it was, this thing that was sort of pressing on me, this stress point, and so I would do the routine with Ewan, I'd watch him drift off into dreamland, and then I would lay there. And one night I laid there all night long, you know, for eight hours, got up, Went to the office feeling like a zombie, just like, and I don't know how many of you have experienced that. You start to go a little bit crazy when you lose sleep. Like you, and, and for my job, believe it or not, I actually have to be able to think and speak a little bit. And so that creates some issues. And this happened for, for, for several days in a row, and I was literally starting to go a little bit insane. And what I've noticed is when I'm starting to lose it, when I'm, maybe you've found this too, when you're starting to like become unhinged, the Psalms are a good place to read. Because in many cases, no matter how crazy you are starting to feel, David seems more so. 
<laughs> right? Because he's like, God, I don't even know where you are. And then like two seconds later, he's like worshiping. And like, he's just this, these wild swings in the Psalms, these very uncensored prayers. And so it's sort of like if you ever feel underdressed, go to Walmart. It's if you ever feel a little bit like, you know, like you're having these sort of emotional swings, read the, read the Psalms because David oftentimes is going through uh, something that is even more um, dramatic than what you're going through. And so I went to my office after not sleeping, and I opened the Psalms, and I just opened really at random. I don't normally do this. I don't normally just like play Russian roulette with the Bible, um, but I just opened it at random and, and read this, and this is the Psalm that, I, that my eyes landed upon. Psalm 4, verse 8, it says this. In peace... I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Why don't we read that together out loud, just to, to, in case anybody's fallen asleep. In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. And the word for peace there is the Hebrew word shalom, which encompasses more than just like an absence of violence, it's this, this, perpet this state of deep and abiding contentment and rest and, and rightness. And it's not the absence of trouble, but it's the palpable presence of God. Shalom and peace, I will lie down and sleep. And, and there have been a few times in my life where I feel like that was, that was the Spirit of God directing me to a particular verse, a particular passage that, that I, needed, I needed to hear. And so I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever struggled with, with anxiety, with, uh, with grief, with depression, with busyness, with, with stress that has caused you to lose rest. But in many ways, we are a very restless culture. We are a restless culture, a restless society, despite all of our advances. One third of our lives are spent either trying to sleep or sleeping. That's a, that's a big chunk of our lives. Uh, one third of our time is spent sleeping or trying to sleep, and yet I've never heard a single sermon on the topic. I've never heard a single message that addresses one third of our, our living existence. And that's not because, that's not to say that pastors haven't put people to sleep, right? Um, I have done this as a teacher, as a pastor, right? Uh, this is biblical, pastors putting people to sleep in the book of Acts chapter 20. Paul is preaching a sermon and it says literally in the Greek, it says, as he talked on and on, <laughs> right? There's a guy by the name of Eutychus and Eutychus falls asleep Paul's sermon put him to sleep. He falls out of a window and he dies, right? It's an awkward moment for a preacher um, <laughs> when you have to like call in the paramedics because of your sermon. And so Eutychus is put to sleep by the message. It's biblical. And he falls out the window. He dies and Paul goes out and prays for him, right? And he is raised back to life, which is an interesting, you sort of wonder what was going through Paul's mind at that moment. Was he like, please God, I can't have this on my resume, or was he sort of like, you know, it serves you right. But either way, either way, God raises him back to life, 
Uh, so pastors have put people to sleep. And so my goal today, it says in the subtitle in your notes, a sleep-inducing sermon, right? If, since pastors have put people to sleep for literally hundreds of years, starting in Acts chapter 20, imagine what we could do if we actually set our minds to it, right? And so this is a sermon not just on sleep, but on rest, rest. And in the Bible, if the subject of, of sleep is like this one room in the church, then the subject of rest is this whole building. Rest is, is the genus of which sleep is just a species. It's a broader category than just sleep, but it, can, it, includes, it includes that topic within it. So this is about rest, and this is about, in some ways, sleep in a, in a smaller sense. So what do we need to know, especially going into this holiday season where it's supposed to be a time of relaxation and, and rest, but in many cases it turns into a frantic, busy, stressful time. What does the Bible have to say about this subject of, of rest? And so a few thoughts today I want to hit on from the scriptures with, with Psalm 4 as kind of the orienting passage. Number one, in the Bible, both work and rest are seen as sacred gifts. In the Bible, both work and rest are seen as sacred gifts. And, and we see that in the sense that both of them predate the fall. It's not just that like work begins in Genesis 3 after like sin enters into the picture. Both work and rest predate the fall. It says this in, in Genesis chapter 2, which is before the fall, before sin, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and care for it. The Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And so work predates the fall, just as rest predates the fall. And we see that, that God at the very beginning of creation and all through the, the Old Testament, he institutes what we could call some sacred rhythms for human flourishing, some sacred rhythms. God works and he, he rests in the, in the creation narrative, one of the creation narratives. He works for six days and he, he rests on the Sabbath. And not just because he's tired, it's the imagery of, of rest as in celebration. It's the imagery of rest like the divine presence rests in the, in the sanctuary, in the temple. God works and rest, and he gives us rhythms of work and rest. There's an hourly rhythm in the scriptures where at certain points throughout the day, we see this in places like Daniel, the prophet will stop whatever he's doing, will rest from his labors, and will give thanks to God in prayer. There's these rhythms of work and rest and work and prayer, even in like a 24-hour period. There's a daily rhythm where we work, where, we, where we're awake, where we're, where we're doing things, and then we need sleep. There's a, a weekly rhythm of work and rest. And in the Old Testament, they call this the Sabbath. And, and God is really serious about his people following the Sabbath, not as like a legalistic thing, but as a gift. The Sabbath is a gift that God gives his people. There's a weekly, there's a, there's a yearly pattern. And if you read the, the story of Israel, there are certain festivals, certain holidays on which you don't do any work. 
you celebrate the, the goodness of God, whether it's Pentecost or Passover or Purim. Um, it's, it's this sort of yearly uh, sequence of work and rest. There's a, a multi-yearly sequence. And in the Old Testament, it, it talks about something called the year of Jubilee, which takes place every 49 years. And the next year is a Jubilee year where the, the land itself rests along with the people of God. He, he builds in, God does, these sacred rhythms and he shows that both work and rest are sacred gifts. And so maybe the first question before we get to rest is we need to talk about work. And the question would be this, do you view your work, whatever you do, as sacred? Do you view your work as sacred? Um, and there's a beautiful quote from Martin Luther King Jr. I don't have it on the screen, but he says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. Uh, and King says, work, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a cook, a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter what your vocation, your calling is, it can be a sacred thing, and it can be a life-giving, a life-giving thing. Uh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but back up 500 years, Martin Luther said this on the subject of work. He said, when a maid cooks and cleans and does other housework because God's command is there, even such a small work must be praised as a service to God, far surpassing the holiness and asceticism of all monks and nuns. Luther says, when a maid or a housewife goes about her task, when she does it well, when she does it with love, that can be sacred and holy. Alistair McGrath, talking about the, the Protestant reformers this next year, I'm sure you've got it marked on your calendar, is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation this, this next year. And McGrath uh, writes this about the, Re the Reformation, about the reformers. He says, it may be said that one of the Reformation's greatest legacies to Western culture is a new attitude toward work and supremely manual labor. Work, far from being merely an inevitable and somewhat tedious means of obtaining the basic necessities for existence, is perhaps the most praiseworthy of all human activities, surpassing all others in its respect. To be called by God oh, it does not entail withdrawing from the world, but demands critical engagement in every sphere of worldly life. And to speak of a Protestant work ethic is not to decry those who cannot work, but to censure those who will not work. Work, it must be added, is not understood as paid employment, but as diligent and productive use of whatever resources and talents one has been given. So, so do you view your work as sacred? Do you view your work as an opportunity to spread the gospel in a sphere where perhaps a pastor, a preacher, a religion professor um, isn't actively serving and living 
in a daily basis. Some of you might say, well, you don't understand. Like, I make French fries for a living. How is that life-giving, right? (laughs) Even if what you're doing doesn't seem particularly, like, crucial, the way you do it and the way you treat people while you do it can be life-giving. Your work is a sacred, sacred calling. But then there's the next question. If you view your work as sacred, do you view rest as sacred also? Do you view rest as sacred also? And for some of us, when we take work really seriously, which is McGrath and Luther and Martin Luther King say is a good and sacred holy thing, the problem is that the balance gets out of whack and we don't take seriously what God has to say about rest. If you read the Old Testament, God commands rest on pain of death. <laughs> There's a passage in the, in the Torah uh, where he's commanded the Sabbath as there's some guys out like picking up sticks. They just can't stop working. They have to do it, right? And they come to Moses and say, what should we do? He says, well, you've read the law. Kill him. God is really serious about rest as a part of the rhythm of of our life, and we, we could ask the question, why is he so serious about rest? Why does God take that so serious? I don't think it's just because we wear out, although that's part of it. That's part of it. Um, I think we could also say this, that sustained and intentional rest reminds us that you are loved for who you are and not just what you do. Sustained and intentional rest reminds you that your, your, your identity, the fact that you are loved, is attached to who you are and not just what you do and what you can accomplish and what you can make or build or, or earn. A few days ago, I brought a picture. It's a very holy picture, um, very sacred picture. A few days ago, we watched the uh, Thanksgiving special, the old Saturday Night Live clip, and they had an old clip of Will Ferrell at the dinner table. One of them was a Thanksgiving dinner table, right? And, and it's sort of a dysfunctional family. It's sort of just kind of, an, there's some tension in the room. Maybe you can relate to that from any of your Thanksgiving Day gatherings. I don't know. But at various points, Farrell will just yell out, right? At one point, he yells out, I drive a Dodge Stratus, right? Um, he, at another point, he, were, he yells out, people at work are scared of me. At another point, he yells out, I'm in charge of eight employees. And you can tell, like, for some reason, this guy, the sense that he's, like, worth something is attached to what he does and what he's earned, which has enabled him to drive a Dodge Stratus, which is, like, a real point of pride for for Will Ferrell, (laughs) but for how much of us is our sense of worth, our sense of value attached to what we do and not to the fact that we're loved by God? What's the first thing that you ask somebody when you meet them? Oh, hi, what do you do, right? What do you do? For many of us, our identity is woven together with our work, which is okay to a point until it becomes um, unbiblical. And until it encroaches upon what the Bible says about work, you're more than just what you do. A second reason why I think God is serious about rest, because sustained and intentional rest reminds you that the world is not kept spinning by your efforts. 
The world is not kept spinning by your efforts. No matter how important your job is, no matter how good you are at it, someday they're going to throw a retirement party and they're going to eat some cake and they're going to replace you with a younger guy and pay him half as much and they're going to go on with their lives because the world is not kept spinning by what you do. Um, it, it's just not. And, and we, we delude ourselves into thinking that we are more important than we actually are in terms of just what we can accomplish. We're important for reasons that are far bigger than what we, than what we do. Do you view rest, and not just work, as a sacred, sacred calling. In the Bible, both work and rest are sacred gifts. Number two, the struggle for rest, this, this restlessness and even sleeplessness in certain instances, the struggle for rest, when we read the Bible, we realize is not foreign to the people of God. The struggle for rest is, is not unique to us. And, and this is one of the things as I was going through this, this sort of bout with sleeplessness and anxiety, which thankfully has, has passed some time ago. As I read through the Psalms, I couldn't believe how many Psalms talk about sleep, sleeplessness, the anxiety of lying awake at night for whatever reason comes up over and over again in, in the Psalms. Psalm 6 says this, it says, I'm worn out from my groaning. How many of you have just been tired from groaning? That's a, that's a hard day's work, groaning all day. I'm worn out from my groaning all night. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. It says this in Psalm 22. This is a psalm that, that Jesus quotes uh, on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. One of the things when we read the scriptures, we see over and over again that we're, we're not alone in this, this struggle with restlessness, whether that's anxiety, whether that's depression, whether that's fear or worry, whether that's literal insomnia, um, we could multiply these passages many times over just in the book of Psalms as, as the psalmist cries out to God. And what's fascinating is that somebody, not just somebody wrote this down, but other people collected it and protected it and preserved it and copied it over even hundreds of years because these words spoke to them and to the heart of their spiritual condition. And they're not all happy, happy words. Some of them have real angst and real um, just trouble in, in, in the tone that's, that's, that's used. And why would this matter? Like, why would this be good news <laughs> that the struggle for rest is not new. And I think one of the reasons is, it's because when we are struggling with something, it helps to know that we're not alone. When we struggle, 
it helps to know that we're not alone. There's a, there's a writer by the name of Susan Howitch. Susan Howitch, and she writes a novel called Absolute Truths. And in, in this novel, she deals with the subject of suffering. And, and one of her characters says this, she says, it makes all the difference to know there's someone else screaming alongside you. And that's the point of the incarnation. I can see that so clearly now. God came into the world and screamed alongside us. He says it, it makes a difference to know when you're struggling, when you're suffering, that there's somebody along, screaming alongside of you. And we would all say, that's not the only purpose of the incarnation. The incarnation has other purposes. We need to actually be saved, right? And not just feel sort of heard or empathized with. But, but one of the purposes is that God comes into the world and knows the struggle, even the struggle of restlessness. He quotes Psalm 22, the, the one we just read just previously, that, that we're not, that we're not Alone, the struggle for rest, even for sleep, is not foreign to God's people. But we could say, while it's not foreign, while it's not something that's entirely new, it is heightened or exacerbated by certain aspects of our own culture. Is it not? Is this true? Uh, I was reading uh, something recently that talks about how, you know, despite our comfort and our, our relative wealth compared to people in other countries or, or people in other centuries, that we are among the most sleepless and restless generations that's ever lived, despite all of our technology and our, and our comforts. And so while the struggle isn't foreign to uh, God's people, it is heightened. Uh, one of the things that's heightened by is by our relationship to technology, believe it or not. And, and I read an article recently, about a picture of an article in, the, in New York Magazine by Andrew Sullivan, and it says, put down your phone. <laughs> and there's a beautiful series of, of paintings or pictures, famous pieces of artwork, and, and an artist by the name of Kim, Kim Dong Kyu took all of these famous paintings or pictures and inserted cell phones in them. <laughs> and and it creates sort of an interesting juxtaposition. It said this on the website, the juxtaposition of old image and newish technology forces us to think about just how radically our human experience differs from the experience of human beings. Yeah, that's a good one. That's like the mall, I think. Um, differs radically from the experience of human beings who lived only a couple hundred years ago, if that. It also forces us to think about how much of our time we spend these days not really occupying the physical and hence perhaps the mental space we're actually in. And one of the points of the articles is that this, this relationship with technology and a constant flow of news and information and tweets and posts actually produces a kind of restlessness in, in our hearts. Uh, Sullivan says this, he, he, in the article, he, he examines this endless bombardment of news and gossip and images, and he says that it almost broke him. He was a professional, professional blogger at the point, and his doctor asked him, did you really survive HIV to die of the web? 
A 2015 study of young adults found that we aren't fully aware of how addicted we are. Participants thought they picked up their phones half as much as they actually did. Has our enslavement to dopamine, he writes, to the instant hits of validation that come from a well-crafted tweet or Snapchat streak make us happier? Question mark. I suspect it has simply made us less unhappy, or rather less aware of our unhappiness, and that our phones are merely new and powerful antidepressants of a non-pharmaceutical variety. That there is this restlessness, and the restlessness is seen by our attachment to this constant flow of information, but it is also heightened, there's, there's a spiritual dimension. He says, the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. He says, we need Sabbath, we need Rest, we need stillness, we need a break from the constant flow of images and information. And yet our need for quiet has never fully gone away because our practical achievements, however spectacular, never quite fulfill us. They are always giving way to new wants and new needs, always requiring updating or repairing, always falling short. The mania of our online lives reveals this, we keep swiping and swiping because we are never fully satisfied. We need rest. We need, we need a Sabbath. We need a break from the constant busyness of, of this life. And never more than in this season, never more, then Thanksgiving, one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions and I accomplished it this year is to eat a lot of turkey, right? The tryptophan kicks in and then just fall asleep on the couch, which I accomplished this year. Uh, and, and even the Cowboys winning didn't stop that from happening. So, but once we get past the tryptophan and the turkey hangover, the holiday season especially becomes a season of busyness and hectic you know, schedules and, and, and all of that we need Rest And so what's the big idea? What's the thing that we, we land on? Last point, number three. In the scriptures, true rest, true shalom is found only in Jesus Christ. True rest. There's a connection in the Bible between rest and salvation. And so there's a connection between uh, not just rest and salvation, but rest and the exodus and the promised land. And so when the Israelites leave Egypt, they leave slavery. Their ultimate destination is, is the land. But what it says is that they find rest. They find rest in the promised land. There's a connection between rest and salvation. And true rest is found in Christ. It comes when we find our sense of identity, security, value, worth, and future and in God and not in what other people think of us. Matthew 11, 28, classic passage. Jesus says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. This is, this is what Jesus gives. He doesn't just give 
salvation. He doesn't just give freedom from, from guilt or from hell. He gives rest, he says. And, and techniques are great. Um, practical advice is, is great. If you're struggling with, say, insomnia or anxiety, I absolutely encourage you to, to see a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a physician, celebrate recovery. All of that's great to, to, to examine the rhythms of your life, to, to get off social media for a while if that helps, to cut out caffeine if that helps. All of the practical advice is fantastic, but at some level, True rest is found in Jesus. True rest is found in him. And, and one of the things I noticed as I was sort of going through this, this, this period of, of restlessness and sleeplessness is I, I needed to, to not just examine, examine the causes and, and to consider some practical solutions, but I needed to do what 2 Corinthians 10 says. And, and that is to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. To, to begin to look at what, what are the messages that I'm entertaining and mulling over? What's the tape that I'm running over in my brain endlessly, endlessly? What are the thoughts that need to be taken captive and made obedient to Christ? And so here's the question today. Uh, for this sleep-inducing sermon, for this rest-inducing sermon, hopefully. In what area of your life do you need to find rest? In what area do you need rest? Are you struggling with anxiety? Is there a conflict that's sort of pressing on you and, and, and making things difficult for you? Um, are, are you finding your identity in what you do, in your work, or in what other people think of you? Uh, in what area of your life do you need to find some rest? And one of the, the most beautiful aspects of, of the scripture and the resurrection and the new covenant and the hope that we have in Jesus is that in the New Testament, even death itself, the, the, the last enemy, as Paul calls it, gets redefined. And the word that the, the New Testament writers repeatedly use for death in the wake of the resurrection is sleep. Even death becomes no more than a kind of sleep because at the end of the day, we awake in resurrection. We find rest and we find resurrection in Jesus Christ, and that no one else can take that away from us uh, in, in this life or the life to come. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this season, the season of Advent, when we anticipate your coming. You're coming as a, as a baby, and you're coming again in glory. And we confess that despite all the beauty and enjoyment of this season, it also can become hectic. It becomes busy and stressful. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find rest this season. 
rest in you. And whatever that means, whatever is keeping us restless or anxious or awake, that we would seek wholeness and health through practical means, but also in your word. And as the psalmist says, in peace we lie down. For you alone, Lord, make us dwell, make us rest in safety. We thank you for the victory that comes in Christ, for the promise of eternal life that turns even death itself into sleep. And so we go forth today uh, to love and to welcome a world with, with arms of grace and words of truth. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer this week, as always, there'll be folks up, uh, up front who would love to pray with you. Have a fantastic week.